We will dive right into it. Um, Pastor Wade has introduced me, and I've spoken here before, so just starting off a little bit about myself, I ended a little bit about myself last time, and I think that's okay, okay because you don't know me very well, but it was over about 10 years ago now, as I was entering the seventh grade, um, I came against a trial at that time that most young boys often face in life. And the trial at this point in my life was the strict instruction of my father. And the instruction that he was giving me at this time, or I should probably call it the command that my dad was giving me, was that that summer before entering junior high, I was to go three days a week at 7 a.m. and work out with the high school football team. And while this doesn't seem like a big deal to you guys now or to me, at that point it was the world. So not to mention waking up early and starting the workout with a one-mile jog, I would then embarrassingly, as a 7th grade, 13-year-old boy, have to work out with the football team. And, you know, they could do 15 or 20 pull-ups with ease, and I probably couldn't do one, and, and I really could do one, and it was the one that you would jump up off the floor and use your, use your legs as help, and, and they would pile weights on the end of the bar and lift it over and over again with ease, and I don't know that I could even do the bar once. So, as you can imagine, at that time, I thought my dad was so mean for making me do this. I thought, you know, he doesn't care about me. He doesn't care about how I feel. But I could not have been more wrong. You see, my dad made me go to these workouts because he actually cared very much for me. He wanted me to grow and be a strong and healthy man. And he cared so much for me in this regard that not only did he get himself up, but he drug me out of bed on those early summer mornings and drove me to the workout. And I've learned this probably not all the way now. My parents would tell you I have not, but I'm sure most of you have learned this much better than me, but this is often the case when our parents give us advice and make us do something as kids, is an endless cycle continues of them giving us this advice, we think they're crazy, and then we grow up and years down the road, I look back now and I realize how wise and how good my parents actually were. Have you experienced that? Yes, it sounds like it. So, I can name countless examples like this between both my mom and my dad, but that is not why I share the story. I'm not here to talk about my family or myself all night. But you see, my dad gave me a command, or he gave me instruction that I was to follow. It was not easy for me to follow or obey, but this advice proved to be for my, for my own good. And in many of the same ways, our Father in heaven, the God of the universe, the creator of the world, the heavens and the earth and all that is in them, God gives us his law, which is written here in his word. And his law is not always easy to obey or follow. It's rarely easy to obey or follow. But his law and his word is always, always given for his glory and for the good of those who love him and are called to live according to his purpose. And those people are us, God's church. So if you have your Bibles this evening, I invite you to open with me to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm 1. This passage, as you get there, it 
Psalm 1 has not always been at the start of the 150 Psalms. Some say the first chapter was later placed at the beginning as sort of a preface or introduction. God's word, or you'll see the word law here in this short chapter. So his law is the central theme of the chapter. And the reason I use the word instruction already a good bit is because the word law is translated literally as instruction. You may see that in your footnote at the bottom of your Bible. Some of you may have those footnotes, and it'll say instruction. So here we see a focus on the instruction or law or God. And in order for us to follow the instructions and commands our Heavenly Father gives, we must study and know what His Word actually says. So in this psalm, we see two distinct paths one can take in life. You see the first path being a life given to studying and obeying God's Word. This will be a life of abundant blessing while the other path, a life of wickedness apart from God, will end only in death, regret, and worst of all, separation from God for eternity. So follow with me as I read Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So as I just mentioned, in this chapter, you see two paths of life one could take. And the first path could be described as the abundant blessings of the righteous man. And this second path, basically the the worthlessness of the wicked, the worthless, wicked way. We'll start with this righteous path, but first, it must be noted that there are none who are righteous apart from the grace of God. Just a few pages over, Psalm 14 makes this clear. I believe Paul in Romans 3 even quotes this chapter, but Psalm 14 verses 2 and 3 of that chapter say that the the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. So we have this picture of God in heaven looking down on the men of the world to see if any are good, to see if any seek after him. And the psalm in chapter 14 continues to say that they have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, no, not even one. So there are none who are righteous, But thankfully, just as God counted Abraham's faith as righteousness, we see in the early stages of the Bible, even while we, you and I, even here tonight, are unrighteous sinners, He, God, counts our faith as righteousness. Our faith in Christ is counted as righteousness on our account. And He forgives our debt of sin. And the reason I share that with you is because we must first have our faith placed in Christ 
to be in this righteous way. And what this psalm does in chapter 1 is it shows us a picture of how one is to live after truly placing his or her faith in the Lord. So noting on this richness of the righteous man, getting right into it, the psalm starts by saying in verse 1, blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. The word blessed here in the original language was written in the plural form, so not a singular word like you may glance at and see or assume here in the English, but in the plural form, and it meant not one blessing, but more than one blessing on this righteous man, and emphasizing not one blessing, but a myriad of blessings. So in this just one word, at the start of the 150 Psalms, we see the millions upon millions of blessings upon blessings that the Lord bestows on those who are His people, who are marked by faith in Him. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. But this word of blessing takes a quick turn and is shortly followed by what we must avoid if we are to be among God's blessed people. Look at how verse 1 continues. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So I want you to notice the progression into deeper and deeper sin in this first verse. First, the man is told to avoid walking in the counsel of wicked men. This progresses, as you see, to standing idly in the way of sinners, and then continues to the point of even sitting comfortably in the seat of those who are scoffing at and mocking our God and His law. That scoffing there is directed at God. If we want to be among God's blessed people, we must at all cost work to avoid falling into the ways of sinful living. So you have to notice and fight this in our lives, fight this in my life and all of our lives, each individually, the danger of slow, unnoticed progression of sin starts as something really small, a small temptation, and that temptation grows into a desire which grows to be sin, which turns into death, we see in the book of James. We go from walking, standing, to even sitting in and participating in sin. That's the picture you see in verse 1. And it, it shows just how this route can dangerously become more and more deadly to our souls, even to the point that we are sitting comfortably among dead sinners who are mocking the God that we should be serving. As people of God, we must first and at all cost avoid sin and sinful ways, mortify, kill the sin of our flesh and our mind, every bit of it and fight to, to notice that sin so it doesn't creep up and grow into something that one day you, look, you get down the road and you look back and you're like, how did I get to this point? So moving to more positive notes. While verse 1 notes what the righteous must avoid, so you want to be this blessed man or woman of God, avoid sin, we see in verses 2 and 3 what we must commit to do along with the positive result of doing those things. Verse 2, but his delight, this blessed man, is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he 
prosperous. In order to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord, and even truly in order to avoid sin, we must first know the Lord. We must know Him. And the best and truly only way of knowing God is, as these verses say, by delighting in and loving and meditating on His Word that He has given us so graciously. So the psalmist does not say meditate on God's Word here, but you'll notice probably in your translation it says to meditate on the law of God. At the time of writing, he referred to most likely the books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, pointing back to the law of God which was given at this time. But we can now understand this to mean that we are to delight in and meditate upon the entire Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. God has given us 66 books which all together describe who He is and the story of His plan of salvation for us in this world. So if we truly believe that that is true, if we believe that God is who we say He is and this Word is what we believe it to be, then it would make little sense that we not spend our entire lives and give ourselves away to His Word that we may know this God who created us and all that is in the world. And further on this studying of the Word, it does not say to skim through our reading for a few minutes and mark it off the to-do list, which I am so guilty of so often in the culture of rush that we live in. But it says to delight in and meditate on God's Word. Slowly read and soak it into your soul into the, every fiber of your being, that you may know the Lord and that your heart may beat for Him, that you delight in His Word. It says meditate on it day and night. So read His Word daily and in the morning and carry it with you on your heart and your mind all day and night long. That's the picture you see in verses 2 and 3 of this chapter. Verse 3 actually continues in telling us the positive result of avoiding sinful ways and meditating on God's Word. So you see, avoid sin, meditate on God's Word. And here's what it says. He says, do these things, basically, I'm paraphrasing, do these things, and you will be confident and steady as a tree that is planted by streams of water. The picture we see here is that seasons of drought come for the tree, but it does not matter because this tree is planted by streams of water. Seasons of trial and suffering will come for your life, and often, and maybe that season is right now. But it will not overcome you, because you are planted firmly by the stream of living water that is the Word of God. Your leaf will never wither, no matter what life throws your way, because you are planted firmly in the solid foundation of the Word of God, which gives us life. And even more, this tree does not just sit by the water and merely survive, just drink the water for itself, but but this tree bears fruit. You see that? So in the same way, as you study God's Word, as you know Him more and delight in Him and obey what His Word says, you will, you should, but you will, you will bear fruit. You will love your neighbor better. 
You'll share and teach this word to others that they may come to believe in the Lord for salvation just as you have, and you'll find yourself obeying and bearing fruit just as the tree does that is planted by the streams of water. And looking to Jesus, he, while on earth, had this same high view of God's word. If you remember when Satan tempted him in his 40-day fast in the wilderness, one of the things Satan tempted him with is to turn the stone into bread. Do you remember Jesus' reply? He's quoting Deuteronomy 8.3. So he's fighting temptation with Scripture, looking all the way back. Satan says, turn this stone to bread and eat. You are God. And Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus himself, if he did it, then all the more do we need to study the word, He knew God's word, and he knew the significance of God's word as he not only used it as a defense against temptation, but if you look closely at what he said, he said that even the word of God, that we feed on God's word, it is more essential to us even than the food we eat. Man must not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Think about that for a moment. The Word of God is more essential for our livelihood even than the food we eat. And I'm so guilty of this. I often think like, man, I got to eat or I'm going to die. But no, we must feed on God's Word. We must feed ourselves with His Word or we will not survive in the world we live in, the sinful world with the sinful ways. We will fall into it and fall away from the Lord. Man must not live by bread alone. Concluding on the riches of the blessed man in these first few verses, verse 3 says that the one who gives their life to God's word will prosper in all that he does. Now, this does not mean that we will find prosperity in money and possessions and health and find all the things we want in this world if we read the Bible for five minutes every morning. That is not what the psalmist is saying here. But you will prosper in all that you do. That points to and means that we will find our prosperity and our well-being in the Lord. He will satisfy us. And He who gives us only the best gift that He could, He gives us Himself. And that's where we find Him in His Word. And what we see there is that the man of God prospers in all that he does, finding his satisfaction, his soul, his very being in the Lord, in the Word of God. Ephesians 2, 6 and 7 sort of point to this a little more from the New Testament, saying that God saves us and will raise us up with him and will seat us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And verse 7 of that chapter says, so that, so God does all that, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Therefore, in all that the blessed man of God does, he will prosper, and he will prosper in the Lord. So those first few verses, you see the the, the rich blessings of the righteous way. And in the last three verses, it sort of reveals the the worthlessness of the wicked way. Verse 4, The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. 
Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So, a quick contrasting here. While the one who is righteous is like a tree planted by water, the wicked apart from God are like chaff, which is blown away even by a small breeze. In ancient times, this chaff would have been widely known as having no value at all. It is worthless. The winnower would hold up a piece of corn in the breeze surrounded by chaff, and the wind would blow the good-for-nothing chaff away for the food to be stored, and the chaff quickly forgotten. The chaff is worthless. No foundation, no strength, no life. The tree planted by the water had a long healthy life, and the chaff never had life at all. So while the righteous will inherit the blessings and riches of God, the wicked will face the judgment of God. And while the blessed man will prosper, the wicked man we see will perish. A life lived for oneself and one's own ways will be a life wasted, like chaff, worthless, good for nothing, like there was never life at all. But we see the contrast that the blessed man is like the tree planted by the streams of water. And in that, you see sort of the two paths of life one can go on, in the Lord or apart from the Lord. And the results could not be more different. So as I said at the beginning, that you know there are none who are righteous or can be blessed apart from God. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And because of our sin, we all deserve death, punishment, even separation from Him. And the only answer for this great problem of sin, and thank God He has provided us with an answer, can be found in the good news of Jesus Christ. While being fully God, Jesus came to earth in the form of man, lived a sinless life, and gave Himself as a sacrifice for all who would believe in Him. And in Mark chapter 1, Jesus' words are that the kingdom of God is near, and our response to these things, to this coming of the kingdom of God, should be one of belief in Him and repentance, which means turning away from our lives of sin, which we were all once in this wicked path. Even believers in the room, we were all once in the path of the wicked. And Jesus says to repent, turn from that, and turn to Him, and believe in Him as Savior. This it's too big a room to assume everyone is a believer. So I just say, if you are here this evening and have not trusted Jesus for salvation, that is the way to the blessed path in the Lord, to repent and believe in the gospel, to place your faith in the risen Savior of Jesus. So if you are here and already a believer, we praise the Lord for that. Most of us, maybe all of us here, Here's what Psalm 1 says to you, looking at sort of some practical application things that we can do in our lives, looking at this chapter. We see that Pastor Wade talked about this last week, that God's Word is inerrant, which means it is perfectly written with zero errors. God's Word is authoritative, which means that whatever His Word says, we must do. And it is also sufficient. This book is all we need in order to live life in Christ. 
So with these being true, we must delight in and meditate on God's word. We must give our lives away to the studying and obeying of his word. We talked already about reading the word daily. I would also encourage you to memorize scripture. Like what better way to delight in and meditate on God's word is I didn't really hit on, but it says day and night. No better way to do that than to memorize scripture and know it and store it in your mind and in your heart. And of course, if you have children, it would be a great, great thing to go through this word of God with your children as a family. But maybe the best thing you can do in order to obey Psalm chapter 1 is be an intentional, participating member in the life of your church. So throughout the New Testament, really throughout the Bible, we see God pointing not only to make His wisdom and glory known, but to grow His followers, to grow disciples through the church. So don't merely show up for church on Sundays and Wednesdays for an hour, but give yourself away to the church of God. And this maybe better than anything, will equip us to not only know God better, but make Him known and make more disciples as we live life at work or here or wherever the Lord has you. So being a part of a church will help you to be surrounded with believers. And another thing we see the church helping with is it surrounds us with believers in order that it may keep us from walking in the way of the wicked and sitting in the seat of scoffers and what we see in this verse here holding us accountable. So just concluding here, it was not easy for me 10 years ago or so to wake up and go work out with the football team. But thankfully, I have a good father who made me do it and drug me out of bed. But in ways which cannot be compared, we have a good, good father in heaven. Obeying the instruction of the Lord, obeying His law, His word will rarely be easy, but incomparable to the benefit I got of doing a few workouts in the summer, a life given to studying and obeying God's word will be one of abundant blessing, one which is worthy of living. Ezra 7.10 says that Ezra set his heart to study God's law to do what it says and teach it to others. So maybe the best way to conclude is to make it our resolve this evening to spend our lives as Ezra did, studying the Word, obeying the Word, and teaching the Word. Let us pray. God, I thank you for this evening and this opportunity we've had together and look at your Word together in Psalm 1. I pray that you would help us, just as we see, to keep from sin, to kill the sin of our flesh, and do whatever it takes to stay away from sin, but all the more to fight and do whatever it takes to pursue you, to know you, to be near you, in your word, in prayer, daily, day and night, God. We see the, the promises of blessings, of faith and, and from you that come from spending this time with you, from spending a life pursuing your name in faith, God. And I pray that you would give us the resolve, the energy to, to do that. God, give us the faith to do that, Lord. 
and I pray that as we do daily, at home, at work, at church, God, that you would sanctify us, grow us to know you more and taste and see all the more each day how good you are. And not only that, but to in turn want others to taste and see that you are good as well, that we may share this word, that others may come to know you just as we have, and that others may grow daily and know you more for the rest of their lives just as we have as well. In Christ's name I pray, amen.